0: Okay, uh, gentlemen. I don't want. Thank, thank you for. Uh, at this time yesterday, we had no questions. One hour later, we have about fifty questions. I hope that no one's offended if your questions are not all asked. And I they they were they were chosen or are being chosen by methods that I can't reveal to you, but uh, they're not. Uh, yeah, but uh, mostly by what I feel is the emotional uh, pressure from the person asking. Okay. The. Uh, and, and, and,
1: okay, the so first let me Oh, up. sorry, but first okay. we're going to have um, Sir, James asked me to start by saying a few words about Mr. Shapiro It's probably the most difficult request I've ever had In this setting, and I'll tell you why You know, imagine that there's a culture Where people don't play basketball, they don't know what basketball is Imagine, you know, there, 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 is, there might be such a culture uh, and okay. um, <laughs> you say Can you the, um, the, the, um And there's somebody, a great basketball player died or whatever, and he asked to explain what was great about him. So people don't know what basketball is, so you have to explain what the game is, and then to try to describe the nuances and the levels. And then you need also the emotional um, resonance. Of wow, you mean he could get a basketball shot? Well, what's the norm? And how what's the distance and what are the impediments? I mean, it 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 loses a lot and and I struggled, I really struggled to try to find a description for people that really not don't understand it yet and so on. And the truth is I I can't say I was successful, so I want to point out two areas. And Bez Hashem when you will progress enough in learning become sophisticated enough. Um, there was somebody in our community, we have once a month a lecture by a scientist um, of note who is in the community. It's a community that's full of all sorts of scientists and government workers. So um, we have a scientist of note who speaks about a topic that demonstrates Hashem's greatness, like Marabu, and then a rabbi gives some comments. So the last one who spoke was a mathematician, Professor Rosenberg. Jonathan Rosenberg is a, a first-class mathematician, University of Maryland, full professor. He has a son, actually, who learned learn that till now. Wonderful family, f- from person. And he, he started his talk by people asking me, what, you know, when I tell people I'm mathematicians, these are the reactions I get. And one of them is, so what do you do all day? You count numbers, you sit and add numbers all day. Um, it's so I, I, I really struggled to try to explain. It's hard enough to explain what a Talmud Chacham does all day and what makes a person great and what made Reb Moshe extraordinary. I, so I'm going to try to give two nekudos, two points, and hopefully when you become proficient enough, involved enough, and you will be able to... Um, to be Zohar to some of his Torah, the Torah the people that people have learned by him, at least it'll click in. The, the the sense of what it is will click in. That's best I can hope for. So I, I want to point at two things, two areas. There was a certain, let's call it, I don't know if the words diversion or divergence in the world of yeshivas. In other words, the Vilna God learned all of Torah all the time. And from the beginning to the end, top to bottom, halocha, nigla, nista, everything was one thing, but it made no difference. That was the Volnegar. His students, Rabbi Chaim Volozhin, who founded the first yeshiva, Volozhin, and then in its more contemporary evolvement, which started, let's say, at the very end of the 19th century, beginning of the 20th century, where the yeshivas of Eastern Europe flourished, the Mir, Radin, uh, Kamenitz, Grodna, um, those were the big yeshivas. Um, Brisk was sort of would get would get groups of students from, from the from the Mir. And those yeshivas began to focus a on specific Talmudic um, tractates, which foc- which were the more um, the more intense ones, the ones that required a lot of logical back and forth, and that became the focus. The yeshivas were extremely reluctant to get into the world of Jewish philosophy. Um, There was an introduction of Musa, which was more, I would say, the area of emotional stimulus to do mitzvahs. So Musa became, it also was a battle, but Rebzal Salanta pushed it, and the yeshivas slowly began to introduce in the curriculum Musa Seda and Musa Talks, which were um, emotional drives and pushes, using agaratopsukim psukim, thoughts, to get people emotionally stimulated to do mitzvahs. And that, was, that became the Stanisheba model. Jewish philosophy, I don't want to say it went on the back burner. It was put into the freezer <laughs> or thrown out. Kabbalah was reserved for one person per generation and was considered totally off-limits, as to Tanakh, and so on. There were reasons for it. One reason was that it was kind of a reaction to the um, secularization, which took philosophy and Bible as its sacred cow. So it became the abominable cow to us. And, you know, it was like, yes, a person who's dealing with philosophy, it's usually a way to ration yourself out of the world of mitzvahs. It sort of became a system where we, if we understand everything in the abstract the concept, if I, if I deal with the concept of Shabbos, I don't need to deal with the laws of Shabbos. And therefore, this, and, and it sort of became a reaction. Kabbalah was considered also, it was misused. Hasidim introduced some strands of Kabbalah as the basis for their thought system, certain small segment of vocabulary, and amongst Hasidim also, studying Kabbalah was off-limits for anybody except for the very biggest, but there was a certain flavor of Kabbalah and certain vocabulary of it that became part of their world, their mindset, And, and in the world of the yeshivas, A, because of a reaction, and there was another piece also. It ran against the grain of the ethos of the yeshiva world. The Shiva world was to understand, understand what the Gemara is saying, why it's saying, if there's a disagreement, what are the two sides, what are the problems, what are the questions, what are the answers, what are the possible approaches. There was a certain injection of a certain rationality and hands-on. When Kabbalah started becoming something flighty, kind of for the people that say things that you wonder, you stroke your chin and beard as as the case may be, and ask yourself, well what exactly what did he mean? It's like I once saw a comment of somebody to so one of these new age gurus. I know what every word in the sentence means, but what do all those words together mean? I have no clue, like you know the, 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 you know the abstraction of irrational you know uh, approaches to something like I, I know what each word means, but but I, I don't know what what, what the heck you're talking about. And Scaboll became kind of this kind of vague, weird, strange thing, and and that was it. So it was pushed away from anything that, and that was the, that was the way things were. The, the, the generally speaking, if Torah includes many pieces and there's a piece missing out of it, people feel the mis- the lack. So some people are just fine, just studying like the the, the hardcore yeshiva texts, um, and that's it. Other people felt the, 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 the void. But there was a situation. And there were two people in the last hundred years who changed it radically. Rav was able to take ideas that came from Kabbalah, Hasidus, philosophy. He was able to coin it in a way that didn't need the vocabulary that they had but was able to convey the ideas in a way that was intellectually very engaging and emotionally very satisfying. I was, as a young boy, I was 15, 16, first I heard of Futnah, I was mesmerized. And and everybody who, you know, some people didn't care for it, but the majority of people felt something was clicking in that was missing. And Hütner, um, it was, and he also introduced a sort of <coughs> quasi... A Hasidism that sat well with the mm-hmm. Litvish personality. Mm-hmm. There was singing, but and there was and there was divit Torah. There were not halacha divit Torah, but they challenged the mind and, and 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 you have to put your teeth into it and chew it. The singing had a certain quality to it. Everything about footnote was amazing. He passed away in 1980. Ramesh Shapiro, Zechaniv was of a similar cut, but. Um, but very different. Ramosha's ability was um, to take words and ideas in the morale, and even Kabbalah he would let himself he would allow himself to speak. That really you couldn't crack it open. It's kind of words. And he would explain it in a way where wow, there was that the wow moment. There was, you know, let there be light. And all of a sudden, a term that was kind of obscure and obfuscate just became, oh, that's what it is. It's like that moment when you grasp like a difficult concept, and, and everything lights up. Um, it, that was was like it was incredible. Um, he had a, a huge grasp of Torah, and he was he was there was an easy flow between the halacha part and the machshava part. You felt that it's the natural continuum. It wasn't like this new, kind of vague, mystical, spooky stuff that was totally unrelated to it. It was, it was the same thought process going a step further, and in a di- you know, and in going in, in, into a different area. He himself was a tremendous Talmud Chachem. as, as a Lamdan, as someone understood conceptually Gemara. He was the equal of anybody, plus. and he was. It was the same way he was able to give it over in other areas, except in other areas you never heard it before, and it was, it was astounding. He, he was an eye-opener and, and an enlightener for thousands of people in my generation, um, and I remember I would go to his share, he'd set in different places at different times, and I would walk out sometimes just staggering and like saying, wow, it's, it's like, a, like the sun came up, like, wow, I, I've always seen this vocabulary, I never knew what it meant, and, and he just had the right turn of phrase to make it meaningful. He had a phenomenal command of language, um, and and beautiful command of language, and and it was very enlightening in both ways. He 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 was able to use it in a way to articulate well the ideas and to open up the language of Chazal. So when you learn a Gemara, especially the non-Halacha Gemara, what's called Agadita or Agados, and again I'll ask you if I use words indiscriminately that don't make that that you know I, I you're not familiar with, pl- please. Call my attention. data. It's, it's difficult. Uh, you know, you get used to some vocabulary. But this I got gotta uh, So you read it, so sometimes you get this very apologetic type of explaining, well, they probably meant it, that or I thought this way, what do you know, this is this. Or you get, no, it's exactly the way it says literally, that's it. And he just gave it a touch, and he said, wow, that's what it means. And look at the words. He, he would say it, the words would sing along. He, he, he had the command of language both in in terms of cognizance and in terms of expression, that was amazing. It was like a golden touch to it. Um, the Rambam praises Rabbeinu Kaddish, who made the Mishnah, as being the great Talmud Chacham like this. And he says, and the great linguist of, of his generation, he brings Gemaras proving it. The Rambam, and and being a linguist is not just. Another dry kind of academic area. It means that you're able to communicate effectively and to to tease out ideas that are sort of secreted in the turn of phrase, in the the metaphor used. And there was, and my generation, I would say, most anyone who's had anything any any interest in this area and is teaching this area, drew it from him, and and he opened up a whole new area. There was on the one hand almost virgin territory for the Shiva world, and yet once conquered, it seems such a natural extension. It, 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 I, as a product of the Shiva world, I, I, I feel kind of very, very apprehensive when someone starts talking philosophy that I feel is disconnected. It just it's another area. It's not it's not Torah. And yet his Torah just rang true. It rang as being the, the, next, the next facet of the, of the same Torah. And that I think was a tremendous, it was a greatness. And yes, it'll take some time, God willing, for you to be able to know it and appreciate it and understand it. But when the time comes, um, I, I have an appreciation understanding. There was a second part of his person that I think is worth delineating. We tend to think of a tzaddik as an ascetic a person that looks down on this world, a person that has no need for this to world, we tend to sort of picture it in a very um, rejective way, sort of meek, um, and things of that nature. The Rambam's description of the person who is close to God, he speaks about understanding, cognizance, the morale, the term that he's used to describe the spiritual section of self is seichel, which would mean mind, understanding, etc. The um, Ramesha lived in a seichel and he, he was very ascetic, but there was no sense of it. It's just like if I can give you a martial a businessman who's making a billion dollar business and he doesn't have time for lunch. Well, is that ascetic or not? Um, he, he's not not having lunch, he's busy with something else. Um, R- R- and pushed himself to his limits, but you never had the sense of a person straining. It, there was a, a regality to him, a nobility. He, it just, it was natural to him. Um, last night, Reverend Schwartzman spoke uh, about him, was close to him, and he said that he, when he was first married, he was extremely poor. He couldn't afford car fare. From his house in Bait Vegan to Harry Fish, where he learned that he would walk by foot every day. But... He was always regal, and, and you, you were always felt impressed, and, and it's because his, his person was located in his mind, and, and there was a certain, um, there was the, the, the aristocracy of it, and you felt it, that everything of his had a touch of it, the speech, the language. It was almost like my father came from a similar school, my father came from Slavotka, and there was a type of rebuke that you couldn't even say it today. If we did something that wasn't right, my father would say, "How can you? It's not appropriate. It's, it's something that doesn't exist in our vocabulary." But that was, and that was in. Like, he, he, I, if he would say something, he would say, "You know, like, like, ah, you know, that, that was his, like ah, that. You can't, you know, like, like that. I mean." It's like asking somebody, you know, would you like go to garbage can and see maybe some leftover cookies? So, so, so you say, it's, it, the doctor says it's not hygienic. It, it, it might not, it might affect the recycling of this. You'd say, eh, you know. And that was his his type of. That was the his Yerushalmiim and his carriage expressed itself. He was above things because he was Kol Kuloi, in a seichel, he lived a seichel, And That was the person, um, and and it was. He was incredibly impressive. He, he, he was regal, not because he put on airs or polished himself or, or or anything. It just he lived on the. His self was concentrated in the part of, of 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 the person that is the das and the seichel. Those are two items I struggled to bring out from a person who was incredibly multifaceted, incredibly impressive. Um, I can and hopefully I have given over some sort of picture. Of, of the person. Okay, now to the work. How, yes? How did, how did he give over? He, a lot of his time he for example, went to Kiruv. Yes. Well, where did that come from? What, what was it? There was obviously something beyond his being a... So there was two things. He was, again, unlike the yeshiva mindset, which was kind of focused on preserving what is and sort of circling the wagons, he was big into going... And you know, he, he, go, going and spreading out—that was that was part of his worldview. And when I had to make Zimmer on the Silver Spring, he was very strongly in favor Which, again, is, is far from the Yeshiva world. Uh, you know, it was until the Yeshiva came there. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, some people would still say it is a bit of a distance. But uh, you know, it, he also—he he, people, his strength and Kirov were—he was able to articulate himself well. He understood, he was a a very broad-minded person, which means not that he believes it, but he understood everything. He was able to talk to a person and and resonate with his mindset. That was natural to him, and therefore I think a lot of people, whether it's a cause and effect, whether those type of people were naturally attracted to him, or they emulated the fact that he was one of the first to go into Kirov, he wasn't scared to interact with secular people because... He could could talk about ideas and concepts very comfortably. And he didn't have to debate. For many people, it's not, the first thing wasn't, they didn't need to debate, is my idea right or your idea right? They came with the idea that Judaism is a bunch of old superstitions and traditions. It has no thought behind it, no conceptual depth to it. It's it's like you know that's like pious stuff the horseshoes and you know and, and 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 rings and 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 you know and it's and you and we can explain sociologically why it's important for society to hold on to traditions and things that's comforting in times of trouble. It it keeps a, a, a certain um, <coughs> a group awareness. I, we can go through all those all those. Uh, but when they heard him and they and and you know they said wow, it, it's so deep. There's so much to it. P- people. People could relate to it, first of all, because people do want to be part of, of Jewish people and, and the tradition. People um, would like to feel that they're doing good and right, but it seemed just so um, primitive, um, no, nothing behind it, no depth. And all of a sudden, there was like his light. And, and wow, there's so much to it. It's deeper yet. And I think that was the way he affected people a lot. And, and I think that's that helped people uh, further on. Yes,
0: <clears throat> the discovery of the Zohar in the, in, the, in the 1000s was done by one man who didn't eat, even have the original copy. How are we so certain of its authenticity <clears throat> if the grounds for its redaction are so shaky? <clears throat> okay,
1: so let's let's talk about
0: the the, the, the Zohar and, and so on.
1: The first thing is, we we have a tradition very powerfully um, proven, or not proven, we have the piece that Judaism contained a set of understandings about what we would call mysticism. In other words, a world that's not physical. We have the book of Ezekiel, which by all counts predates a thousand years ago, by a lot. Um, And the book of Ezekiel describes angels with scenes, with things that really are just no idea of what it is. Unless you want to say that we believe in a very physical God, then this whole thing makes no sense. Why would a non-physical God have a whole parking lot full of angels and chariots? You know, it's, it doesn't make any sense. Well, we don't have any information about it. We have a Talmudic uh, a, a Peric that says there are certain certain things, certain studies of Torah, which are off-limits to... It, it says like this. The complicated halachic issues dealing with marriage should not be taught with three students because three students allow two to schmooze together and, and, and one guy pay attention. You, you're afraid that they're going to miss something in share, so you should keep classes <clears throat> to two or less. That, that's, so if you're teaching anything important, make sure you have only two guys in the share. Then it says... There is something called my abracious, which we are clueless as to what it is, that you can't teach with two people, and then there's something called Maisa Merkava, which refers back to that to that chapter in Ezekiel. You can't even teach it to one person, except so how do you teach it? Um, you 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 teach it to an individual who's very bright, and you give him the outline. He has to be bright enough to send himself. That's a Mishnah. So that takes us into the um, BC, so to speak, that that era. The Gemara expands and expounds on it. And the Talmud gives us more words and vocabulary about it, studies of angels, that without really enlightening us much what it is. So we do know that in Judaism, the earliest sources that we have, we have a body of knowledge that's meant to be kept secret, that deals with angels, Heavenly bodies and things of that nature. So that's a fact. The question is, what about um, what about this? Is this is the book that we have um, a real it, 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 it? Let me just sketch before we get to the Zohar. Let me just sketch briefly um, what we do. What we, what's what is our <clears throat> what is our bookshelf of Kabbalah? The Zohar is. A primary work, a primary work, I shouldn't say that. It, it's, it's, it's the earliest big work. We have a, l- a few items that are earlier. And then we have most of the body that we start with today is called the Rizal, which was revealed in the 1500s. Let's go back to the Zohar. There are snippets and bits of pieces that appeared way before the Zohar, in the Gaonim's times, which was from the hundreds through the early thousands, we have bits and pieces mentioned in different places that definitely fit into the Zohar. That's, that's sort of part of Zohar we have. We have allusions to a medrash of hidden material. We have all sorts of things of that nature, which is, um, and we were found later than the Zohar was, was published, and and th- and therefore um, we can we know that th- there were things in existence. And they were co- it was called the hidden medrash. Was not called Zohar. It was called the hidden medrash. It was called the hidden Torah. It had names to it. In 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 in, in the 1300s, there was somebody who um, who 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 gave out the manuscript of Zohar. His name was Moshe de Leon, um, and he was the first person to disseminate. Manuscripts of the entire of the Zor as more or less as we have it today. The um, the, 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 the there's the, the, it's unclear what, how, when, and where. There is one story brought, and it has two or three versions to it, and, and a history work about him writing it and his widow telling people that he just made it up. He wrote it, she said, without looking at any notes. There's another version from that same history where somebody came back to test him and said, I lost one of the manuscripts, can you give me, I'll buy another one. And he said, just tell me where the word the word that ends the previous one, the word of the next one, and I'll give it to you. That's what we know of it. Now, the, this remissioning on is very hard to believe that he made the czar, and I'll explain to you why. There are two reasons. The czar is a physically immense work. It's bigger in the amount of letters than the Talmud. is incredible. And if he wanted to make a living and, and, and give this out, he could have done a much smaller volume. It didn't require that amount of volume. Besides which, he published many works of his own. The works that he published in his own are awkward. His, his writing, he, he, he did not have a pleasant... Writing, we have the books. They're, they're, you know, I have some of them. They're not. They're, they're stilted. He was not a great writer. The Zura Kaddish is poetically one of the most powerful works ever written. No critic ever took it to task for his poetry. It's moving. It's inspiring. It's beautiful. And and therefore, it, um, it it's very hard to believe that the same person could have done both. I mean, was he very humble, and everything else he published in a very stilted, awkward Hebrew, and this was just a flowing, beautiful Aramaic Hebrew. I mean, very, very difficult to attribute it to him. And it was more than that. We live a lot on peer review. All of his contemporaries accepted it. The great Rishonim, whether it's Ramban or the Rajput, everyone, they accepted that work as as valid, and, and, and there was, the contention arose from somebody in Italy, from people further away, and people who weren't immediate. And the same thing is true, that Rizal's work, and we'll get to that soon in a minute. So, so the Zohar itself, now, the work that we have that's in, a, in the shelf called Zohar is a hodgepodge. It's very hard to know, because it was written in manuscripts, and it wasn't studied by a great many people. It's really a work that consists of a dozen works. It's marked as such. There's some called the Zohar, there's some called Rai there's something called Medrishanelam, there's something called Hecholos, there's something called, um, you know, Sisur Torah. What are these things? How do they synchronize? Is it the same? Is it different? It, it, it's, you know, it, it, we, we have no idea. The, the, and it is believed and for very good reason, Herb Yaakov Emden was one who once wrote, that certainly bits and pieces were added later as notes. And the work that we have today includes, you know, because there's an old Jewish saying, you know, Jews are always very eager to help. So, so there's somebody, they once gave somebody in Yiddish to translate Shakespeare's entire works. This person worked very seriously on it and very hard. They had this huge compendium, and the title page said in Yiddish, "All the works of of Shakespeare, greatly enlarged and greatly enhanced by Me Uncle Goldstein." You know, it, 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 so it, there was always uh, a, it was always um, a, a sort of propensity for people publishing stuff to add, to edit as they saw fit, to put in notes, and then the next guy would put into the text. I've seen that myself in him where a Rishonem asks a question on something that wasn't written yet, and then when I looked, at, I, I put out the manuscript many years ago, and the first manuscript, somebody had written it as a note on the side, a, a later owner of that manuscript, and the guy who published it next decided to incorporate it into the text because he thought it's a piece that's missing in the text, without knowing that, that, he was, that he was, it was an anachronism, big time. He was, he was taking a later comment and in an earlier reason. So to say, to say that the entire corpus that we have is the czar, is, is, is from the earliest times, is not true. It mentions Amaran later, what sort of m- m- we believe is it includes core teachings of Kabbalah and, and they aren't demarcated to some degree from Abshirim and that is his Torah whether it's him or his Talmudim, but that's a core teaching um, and then that's called it's Tzniyasa then there are there's the Idris those are two two or three places that we believe it's and it is it's written that way you know it's, it's written as if it's core teachings. We believe the rest of it are later Talmidim, who use the concepts to explain and enlighten different portions of the Torah in a Kabbalah way. And we believe that there are pieces that people have scribbled in on the side and crept in and, and put in later. Um, so no one takes the Zohar as from A to Z. It wasn't, a Sefer Torah is written, looked over a hundred times, corrected and recorrected. And that's why I'll are Torah are so, uh, are, are, are so identical. This, the Zohar Kodesh was published by anybody who wanted to publish stuff and greatly enlarged and enhanced by anybody who wanted to enlarge and enhance. So, so we look at the general corpus of it as the core of it being that. Now, I want to add something. Again, th- this won't be relevant until you become great Kabbalists. But... but Second year.
0: What? Second year program. <laughs> well,
1: um, so to speak, the core teaching that we have today, we take their results, teachings, The Rizal was very specific, very direct, very unpoetic, very dry, very technical. And that is the core teachings. The Zohar is extremely poetic and inspiring and veiled. We use the Rizal to help us understand the Zohar. So the Zohar is an inspirational, poetic work that is built and and uses metaphor to express the ideas in Kabbalah of the Rizal. The Rizal, actually, is a much more fascinating Arizal wrote his and he writes in his introduction, these were revealed to me by Yahweh. It doesn't claim as early. It claims it as revealed to Navi. The only reason why we accept Arizal, he lived in the, let's call it the lakewood of his times, of the Jerusalem. <laughs> he lived in Sfas. In Sfas, where he lived, was the greatest confluence of Tamir HaChomim in generations. The base Yosef lived there. Rab Moshe Kurdaviro, who was the last of the old Kabbalists and the greatest of them, lived there. Marie Rav, who was Beiselsos Rebbe. It was an incredible city full of Tamir Chachamim. They all bowed their heads to Arizal. They all said that Rizal is Emmis and Aster is Emmis. No one disclaimed it. Ramchal tried to do things. Ramchal was beaten up for it. I don't mean physically, but Ramchal, people said, what kind of things is this? Revelations, things like that. Ramchal was taken to task for things he wrote. The result, everyone stood in front of him be'em um, be'yura, Including the Beisosa, the person who wrote the Shoharuch was was Kamamari. Was, was, um, which, which means what? Ke'av Kamamari is like a slave in front of his master. The Ramak, who was the, old, the end of the old generation of Kabbalists, who based the Kabbalah in the Zohar, was in awe. This was the, the result was Emis. So we take the peer review of the greatest people that we have who would naturally resist new things, who tend to put people in the chair if they try something new. And they all were in awe and said, this is emes." So that's where we base our Vilna Goyen, who besides being Criticon Cross, was an extraordinarily critical examiner of manuscripts. He caught. I mean, it, the the areas of Talmud that had not been studied much and are full of mistakes. The Rizal amended the text. Not the Rizal. The guy amended the text because he could cross reference everything all the time and he, and he had a very critical eye. He accepted the Zohar and he wrote a Pirush on it. And again, accept the Zohar means that you accept the core teachings as being It's the tradition of Sod of Torah, the secret of Torah that's come down with Drushals. With sort of expounding and elaborating and using the explanatory parts of Torah and so on,
0: yes. Okay. When an individual has a grandparent or, or a family member, friend who had passed away many years ago, how can they show chesed to this individual after their death? Can they pray for them? If so, what should, or could they or should they pray for? Since we are the product of what our parents
1: produced, you know, nobody who becomes religious even if he's breaking from his parents totally it's because his parents imbued him with some sense of truth ideals something a tradition so if you live a life that is a worthy life then then that's the first and foremost thing you do for somebody who's your predecessor because you know in some way he's you're, you're the product of what he brought into the world. So we, before praying or anything else, living a life that's worthy is probably the best ilan yisshomer you can do for for a a, a, a great parent, etc. Uh, What's our time frame? Where is? What is our time frame? We're
0: till till ten to five. Okay, fine. Or well, as late as you want to. You want to stay? You want to stay in all day? We. Are. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> Okay, what is the difference between modern orthodoxy and Haredi orthodoxy? And on the more emotional level, why do people hate modern orthodoxy? (laughs) Nobody hates Haredi? That was assumed that we deserve it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay.
1: So I, I really would like to see it from a bird's eye view and and sort of be able to see two sides to it. um, There is... There is... Torah itself has a certain... Let's call it idealism in the sense of being an ideal which, by definition, can never be part of the real. And we have an eshamah that when it goes to Gan it lives in a world that's all spiritual, and with a body that's very physical and lives in a world that's very physical. And the problem is, while we're living, we're somewhere stuck between the two. And on a bigger picture, the question is, how do we manage? Um, how do we deal with the world around us? Isolation has its benefits and dangers, and exposure has its benefits and dangers. So one way of saying is, let's take the Hasidic type of view, which is more of an extreme of isolation, is to sort of... Yiddish is my first language. I'll never speak anything other than a a broken English that can get me by, but that's it. I will dress so different that I'm clearly the different, the stranger. I um, I will have very little of their cultural education so that the terms and and the, the concepts and the the morays that are meaningful to them are totally meaningless to me and vice versa. And if I have to drive the truck to make ends meet, I'll drive the truck, but that's about it. Or I'll deliver the potatoes or I'll be, you know, whatever it, whatever it takes, but two different worlds. That was one approach. At the other end of the extreme, there was an approach that said, A, it's not very viable. B, you're robbing many people of the ability to become um, to become to use their talents to the full whether being doctors, lawyers, writers, whatever it is third of all um, it's it's a Hashem let's say people say that Jews are only kind of this, this weird nation and, um, and there's good in the world outside and yes it's buried in a lot of muck but there's a lot of diamonds there and if we tackle it and approach it we will make it part of uh, of Yiddishkeit, and, and it'll be wonderful. We'll have the best of all worlds. Those were those are two extreme poles of it. The now, so modern Orthodoxy espouses that. It's, if if it was pure, and in its pure form, and that's exactly the ideas that I that I've enumerated, Then it's as then it is as valid as anything else. But it's also more comfortable. It's nice to be able to tuck a little yarmulke under your hair and pretend that you're like everybody else. If there's anything that a normal person wants to be, is not weird. And we love it. The world is big and enjoyable. You know, if you have only one hotel you can possibly stay at, and it's overrun with people and kids during the same two weeks in the summer that, that you're there, mm-hmm. and that's it, and there are 90,000 hotels in the world, if the only restaurant you can eat is 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 a dinky little place owned by Hamish Yid that has flankin on Wednesday and sholot on Thursday, it, 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 you know, and 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 you have this this extraordinary uh, range of, of, of stuff that you read about it and or that you used to, um, it 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 presents a, a little bit of Yitzhakara, and then you start moving, and and then so now the question is, how much? Yes, I can I can attempt to sift. I can listen to philosophy and take out the, 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 the jewels that we've lost and embedded in our crown or and, and reject what's... But is everybody so smart and so sensitive to have that precision, that scalpel that can divorce one from the other? What happens if I want to be part of society? And society believes that gay is right, it should be tolerated minimally, and... Um, It should be understood. It should be endorsed. It should be welcomed. It it, it should be understood as being natural and normal. So how do I reconcile it with a very deep religious view that it's wrong? Um, Do I start, you know, I mean, can I say, I think if if Hashem said it's wrong, it's wrong. And I know people have, I I, I sympathize with the people's struggles, but it's absolutely wrong. Can I say that? Um, Very tough because when you're, uh, there's an old Yerushalmi Marshall slash joke and it goes as follows. Somebody was looking for money. Every Yerushalmi story starts that way. Somebody was looking for money. And he remembered his mother's wisdom, his grandmother's wisdom, his Bobby's wisdom. She said, money goes to money. Geld gates a geld. You know, there's an expression that, that wealth goes to, sticks together. I don't know. I have got the English version But money goes to money is the Yiddish. So he looked at a big ATM machine and he took a dollar, and he started sort of fishing, and he figured he would sort of like pull out the money like a magnet. And he's fishing and fishing and fishing and pulling and pushing and pulling, and his dollar got schlepped into the ATM machine. And he lost the dollar. And he was very, very upset. You know, first of all, they lost the dollar, and secondly, his grandmas went wrong. He said, my grandmother's right. Money went to money. There was more money in the ATM machine, so the dollar <laughs> went that direction, and I lost it. And I'm trying to be... A, a light into the world. And I will come in as a proud Orthodox Jew and be my on the world. I'm in a business setting. There are a thousand executives here. And I'm another one of them. Which way is the money going to go? Am I going to be the beacon of light, of emmes, and they will all receive the pure emmes from me? Or, or will I slowly begin to change? I'll keep kosher, but the kosher begins to become... Salmon is okay, and rovers that are probably, there wasn't a trade for fish yesterday, and I can be like them, and it's a kiddush Hashem, because I'm I'm showing that I'm normal. And and it becomes a struggle. So, in modern orthodoxy's pure version, it certainly is as valid, and Rosh Hashem espoused a certain version of it. But I want to make a note about Rosh Hashem, and I want to say two stories about him that show what it means to be really, quote-unquote, modern. One story, and these are written... Biographical notes. One story is that he studied with Gretz for a few years. Gretz came to him and he tried and they would wake up early in the morning, four in the morning. You have to explain Gretz, is. Uh, Gretz was a Jewish historian. He was the first great Jewish historian in a sense. Not He, was, he would probably be aligned with semi-conservative Judaism today, that type. Tradis- some traditional sense, because he, 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 he worked with Jewish history, but he was coming from a, a not-religious perspective, and we take his history with a lot of grains of salt. But he was a great historian, and Refranc- and Shoshua Refranc- studied with him. And they would wake up in the morning, they would study Talmud, they would study Greek, and they would study classics, philosophy. That's one story. The other story is, and this is written by somebody who was there, that there was a particular, he had taken out a particular work of philosophy from, 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 from the library. Schultzfeldhurst looked at it, read it, and he said, This is absolute epic curses, he must burn it. He must get rid of it. He, like, he, he was insistent on, on get rid of the bad amongst you. Hirsch had that power of embracing what was right and rejecting emphatically what was wrong. It's incredible. He was a, a, a pious person with no sense of self. No need to fit a society, no need to, to, to buck society. But that requires a temperament that's unusual. And that's why if people who are, um, if, if you look for safety, you need to pull back to some degree. What's the right place? What's the right balance? So a person needs to be honest with himself and find a society that fits where he is, what's appropriate for him, that's seriously engaged in pursuing HaKadosh Baruch and Torah, and provides the type of
0: balance that fits the person. Yeah, I came to the yeshiva for a variety of reasons and have ended was up. Was the food one of them? <laughs> oh, was excellent this year. <laughs> uh, okay. Oh, uh, it's hard to my diet. I, 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 I came to Machon Yaakov for a variety of reasons and have ended up with a very particular hashkafa as a result. How do I know that this is the correct approach, and how do I how can I explore other hashkafa if another hashkafa resonates more with me as the true path that Shen wants me to know or us to take?
1: So l- let me let me phrase the question a little bit different the way it's phrased sometimes. If I were born a Christian, would I embrace Judaism? Is the truth of Judaism so brilliant to me? Can I honestly say that that if I was born a Christian or a Muslim or a non-believer, that I would come and embrace Judaism? That's a question that's asked kind of in a firm circle. A- an annoying question to ask when you want to start a, a bull session that'll last for a while. And how uh, do we understand that? You know, and, and so, so let's l- 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 let's take a, a, a step. This, this is an expression used by Rishonim. Uh, um, Lo <laughs> That's a that's a Pasuk, Or it's not midarke chachma. In other words, this is you didn't ask this out of wisdom, or this is not a question of the wise. Let's understand something. I can ask an innumerable amount of questions that can't be resolved and, and are just annoying. How do we know we're not dreaming? How do we really exist? You know, <sighs> what was there before there was a before? And, you know, you, can, you can go on and on and on. If, 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 you are, if, if you have a way to live off and, and time on your hands, you can go on with this stuff forever. A question is a tool. And Chachma is not just asking questions. Chachma is using questions as a tool... To get you somewhere, and and a, a person who is a rational person um, learns to ask a, a scientist. You know, it, it, it's like you know they say, "Oh, scientists, the, the great minds ask the question." Yes, but their questions were focused. They were like a laser beam. They, you can't just lay in bed and ask questions. They knew certain things, and then they learned how to extrapolate forward with a question. Einstein's questions were always, "If this is true here." Then how do we understand a step later? Or why would it be here? And so on. There's a certain sense of awareness. So let's talk about life. Let's talk about I'm approaching life. And I need to make some decisions. So let's take a decision like where to live. So someone will ask me, um, you live in Silver Spring? Uh, Yeah, it's very nice. How do you know there's no place nicer than that? So, I can't say that there's no place nicer than that. I can't say there's no place much, much nicer than that. But if I needed to make that evaluation, I would have to live in a different city every year, and I, I, I don't think I'll live as long as there's cities in the world. You know, I'd have to live a year in London, a year in Paris, a year in Washington, a year in New York, a year in Miami, a year, in, a year there. That question gets me no place. So, am I stuck in Silver Spring forever? So, there are two reasons why not. One is if life was so difficult, like the Amara says, if your luck is bad someplace you need to move, I would say, you know, the weather is so bad, economics is so bad, I need to make a move. Or I have to be on a visit in Topeka, Kansas, and I say, wow, this is Ghanaian. I mean, I, I've been living... And so a reasonable person, not a person who would go from place to place to place to place, but it uses certain disindication. Um, let's take something else. Getting married. Somebody's going out with a girl. Can I say that this is the absolute best, most wanted girl in the world? No. The other option is to go out with a hundred thousand girls and make a decision. I, I assure you that, that is, it's not going to happen um, unless you want to go out with a thousand girls at a time. I, it's not going to happen. So, so I need to apply a certain level of chachma. I grew up in a certain way. I did make some changes in my life, but those changes, so so the religious changes. Are based on one of two things, either I say to myself, "This is highly unsatisfactory. It's not. I can't buy into it." And you know, if I've given it the chance, I'm, I'm, so I'm here now. I've given it the chance that it's unsatisfactory. It's Great, unsatisfactory. Then I need to go look. Or somebody invited me for a Shabbos. I went down there and I said, "Well, wow, this is so much deeper. This is so much." More correct. I it's, I feel I need to I need to look into it, but if I were to look into religions that way, so okay Christianity. Well, the Catholics and Protestants believe that each, the other ones gonna be in hell for the rest of his life. So I need to explore Catholicism and Protestant. Well, Catholicism is not alone. There's an Orthodox Church, and pr- Protestants range in 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 a big variety of, of types that many of them feel the other ones are cofit. I mean, in America—it's not nice to think it—but real die-hard Protestants, you know, if if, if you are if, if you're Unitarian, you're an apocryphist, and and vice versa. If you're an Evangelical, you're a nutcase. You know, you, you they, they're, they're, And what about Muslim, Islam? And Islam doesn't come in one flavor. It comes in many terrible flavors. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it, it, you, know you, you can be a Sunni and believe that. I, I have a doctor who's Baha'i in, in America. He's a wonderful guy, very bright guy. And I went, I was, I know, he told me he's iranian Asked and this. He says, actually, I'm Baha'i. And the government think that i better when I be dead. You know, that, that it's better for me to be dead. You know, it, it's, so, so and, then, and then we have Eastern religions, which also come in dozens of flavors. To know those religions, I would have to study the language, practice it for a while. I'll never, that's not a direction to reach emmis. I need to start where I am and ask myself, What's part of the growth process, or what requires a lateral shift? If it requires a lateral shift. Let's take one step lateral. Let's let before I take three steps lateral. So in in a in a, in a rational, reasoned way, it's it's not looking as fun. I can. There, there are many. There's a chassidish yeshivas, and there's not chassidish yeshivas. Ger is one world. Satma is another world. Lubavitch is another world. Um, that tilumi comes in flavors, many flavors. There's, 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 cook, there's Barilan. Those are two worlds, and, and on and on and on. So, so a person who's stable in a Bardas does, you know, it starts where he is and then asks himself, does it warrant a change or not? And, and so on. Yes. Okay.
0: How could Yochanan... So the, the Hushkaf, it, are correct,
1: right? What? That with the bottom line is Why would look <laughs> <up on shlomo? laughs> Freudian.
0: We'll have to get back to that. <laughs> how, <laughs> how could Yochanan, the coin Gadol, who experienced Hashem as closely as anyone ever could, become an epic horse? In a similar vein, how about the... Yeah, let's ignore yeah that, that's a good question.
1: Okay. <laughs> there is no guarantee. That's what the Gemara says. If we're living, it means we have a challenge. The only reason to live is we can accomplish something. The only way to accomplish something is if there's a challenge. For the person who has a great awareness of Hashem, he also has, he's very deep into it, and the possibility of becoming a precursor exists also. The Gemara speaks about four people who entered the world of Kabbalah we spoke about, and three of the four got lost. And, and yes, we can study Kabbalah texts all day long, we won't become a apicarsim, not because we're such great people, but because we're so small, and it doesn't make a difference to us anyway. But they were great people. If Yochan, seeing Hashem and being aware of HaKadosh Baruch Hu is not something that's ever a guarantee. If it would be a guarantee for not sinning, we would be gone. That would be the end of it. There's no purpose there. There's a, a story written. <coughs> Rabbi Rucham Lavavitz was probably the primary Musa thinker of the Shiva genera- of, of generation in the 1900s. He was the Mashkirch the Shiva. His works are seminal Musa works. They, they stand as sort of the mid-ground of the Musa movement in many ways. He himself was a disciple of a small Musa Shiva called Kelm, which produced most of the Muslim leaders of yeshivas it was a tiny yeshiva of maybe forty people. Each person there was a giant in, in, this, in this in this world. So he writes in his introduction that he was taking he was he was walking he was taking a stroll with the mashkiach in the forest, and he felt it was a very elevated moment that he can ask a question that's been bothering him a long time. And he says, the generation that witnessed Hakadosh Baruch Hu, Giving the Torah at Sinai. How could they have sinned and strayed? And he was expecting the profoundest of answers, like a very high level of Kabbalah mistake, whatever it is. And the altar was walking with the altar came silent, and he started crying. And he quoted a pasik that we say in the we say it in, in the Kabbalah Shabbos. Our boyim shana okutbidor. 40 years I struggled with a generation Omar' and I came to the realization that their hearts were amiss in other words and he started crying and in other words he was saying the heart is never ever perfect and there's always a crack in the heart a person doesn't want to be subservient a person doesn't want to be bound to have a perfect heart is an Almost possibility, maybe impossibility. And in other words, Akash Prokho says, I struggled that generation. Didn't boom, and then and then boom. It, and, and I said, and I came to that realization. That was, And that's the way he presented. That's why he presented the necessity for Musa to work on your heart. Because at the end of the day, everyone has cracks in his heart. We're tired of it. We're, 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 it's, it's too much of a burden. We want to cast the yoke off. So many things like that. And and that was the way in certain That there was a Shubat Yohan
0: Kongel. Uh, why do the Haredim not, not want to serve in the army? I can't you be a Haredi in the army? So I wrote an article on it.
1: Oh. And it, 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 it was, it printed Mishpacha and reprinted timepieces. And you can read about it, ah. um, Rabbi. If you have real questions... Rabbi will be sure to give you a discount on the book, and uh, <laughs> Matt, <laughs> he'll order it online and give an out of packet discount for it. <laughs> I, I, um, I, I wrote an article about it, and, and uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll
0: bring it in tomorrow. For I, of course, I don't know who asked that question. Okay, uh, but if like I can find him, I wrote a, so you, can, you
1: can look at it and get it from there. I, I, okay. I don't want to repeat myself.
0: How do we know that the oral Torah and the halachas that it leads to are real, especially when it sometimes uh, leads to things like the halachas of? That seem so far removed from the Torah verse they purported spring th- out from. They reportedly spring out from. Okay.
1: Um, so generally speaking, th- the written law itself begs t- if the written law itself proclaims that it's not complete. There's not one halakh in the written law that we have any clue, you shall sit seven days in booths, you shall wear remembrance on your hands. It is so short on detail that there must be detail with it. The Torah itself writes in Shoftim. So a person can say, well, um, let everybody keep the Torah the way he sees it. So whatever I think a booth is, that's a booth. Whatever I think it remembrance is, a remembrance. So there's a portion of the written law In Shoftim, a very big portion. And it says, if any doubt comes to you concerning any laws of the Torah, you must ask the court. And if the court doesn't know, it engages the higher court and goes to the very highest court. And if anyone disagrees with that, he's punishable by death. So that means that the law is specific. If it was follow your conscience, what does it mean? So you can say consult with your rabbi. What does it mean the rabbis don't know, and then they ask the high court They get punished by death? If, 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 you know, it, it's, it's, For instance, the, the rules and regulations of a country are subject to jurisdiction of the high court because they're meant to be specific. If the law is meant as you see fit, um, you know, you, you, you can't take any bribe, but you define what a bribe is, we're back to square one. There's no law. Because we all define things exactly the way we'd like to define them, so there's an objective standard, and the Torah tells us that the High Court has that objective standard. So that means there is something. It's the Torah can't mean "do as you, as your conscience dictates" in the words of the law, because then that that whole section and it's punishable by death, which is which is, you know, that's that's so <coughs> fun. And the Torah is, is, is as if it's saying that. You will destroy the Torah if everybody does as he sees fits. One of the expressions used coming in the prophets is not that people did bad, but everyone did what he thought was right. That's equivalent; it's the same thing. It's a saying: you did. You know, once you do what you want and you find a pasuk to embellish it with, then then you're back to the to square one again. Um, the, the, um, so there is that we don't have any alternative tradition. Even the Karyite, which is not a tradition, it started at a clear point in time. We know when it started. We started by someone who was a disgruntled um, office holder, somebody who was t- passed over in a job of, 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 of a, a go'on, and he, and he started it. So he said, do as you see fit. There's no need for rabbis. But they kept the vast corpus of halakha, because they knew, or, or else it, it's meaningless, or else everybody, you, you don't have anything binding, everybody don't have any standard. So, so that's something that begs of it, and we don't have any alternative to it. No one else came up and said this, this, or the other thing. That that's the the halacha that we have, and and the burden of proof is on someone else to disprove it.
0: Yeah. Uh, what is the difference between Hashem's plan for a Jew and a non-Jew? The plan for a Jew, the, uh, for Hashem, what, what does Hashem want for from a Jew or and from a non-Jew? So. Sometimes you I, call them mom and dad. Just warning.
1: <laughs> Hashem created mankind, created Adam. And Adam was neither Jewish nor non Jewish, um, he was man and included everything that a man includes in himself. When Adam sinned and the world started degenerating in, in many sins, this is the way Ramchal portrays it in other form Kadesh Baruch Hu said, I'm not going to be able to lift mankind out of the mess it's in by itself. What I need to do is isolate one person who will lead the charge, will be the example, and live a life that man was supposed to lead. And that um, influence that sort of serve as a paradigm for mankind. And that was Abraham. So if we ask ourselves who has the charge and obligation to, to live a life that's very different than a physical life, that's Abraham and that's the Jewish people. The the, the, the job, the Jewish people are called Mamlechas Kohanim, a nation of priests. Priests are there to serve the population. They're there to set a standard, to, to act as 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 a as a vehicle for bracha. The purpose is mankind in whole. The charge to be the person that is different and unique and unusual is 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 Kali yisrael. That's why we never made an effort to proselytize. We we push people away. Yisrael is 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 a leader in the sense he's supposed to live a life that's difficult, that's really. Um, lifting himself above physical, which is hard. Anytime you have to mm-hmm. lift, you're going against the weight of gravity, against the weight of your nominal self. And, and um, you, you need to be able to, to accomplish that. The purpose is sort of humanity, when we've Rosh Hashanah, we accept God personally, and we project him, may the day come when humanity recognizes it. So the goal is humanity, and the people who have the responsibility to make it happen is Kali Yisrael. Uh, why don't I think mo- one more. Uh, I think uh, one
0: more question. You can ask many questions, but no answers. I mean, like, you know, like <laughs> they, they seem take more time than your questions. Why don't more people wear tichelas, even if it is suffolk? Is it isn't a chance of being uh, yotzi better than not doing it at all?
1: So, um, I can I, it, logically, it's it's a very good argument. It's more of an approach. Um, We've been burnt many times. There were two other attempts at cheles that fizzled out and were recognized, even though it came with a great charge of arguments. We, we realize today it can't be cheles for many reasons. Um, in other words, the the, 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 the mindset of, of the most Haredi Poskim is that which means, as a logic principles, the onus... The burden of proof is on the one that wants to change the status quo. We, we've been very burnt by Mashiachs of all sorts, by people came come up with new things. So there's a sense of, you've got to do a lot more proof. Will it, I can see easily that it will slowly become the norm and this will become, I personally don't wear trailers, but when people, again, for the sort of same mindset and the, the post scheme that, well, my post game didn't go for it. But but when people ask me, I tell them, you know, halachically, I, I have a hard time finding logic argument, and I'm just telling you this. It's my mindset, but it's not something I can say objectively. It might, it'll in, within the next, you know, few decades, it'll either fade out or it'll become universal. So that's really it's 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 an approach to Pshac and to and to halacha. Do you grab everything new and embrace it? Or so many... It, you know, I'll give you an example. When you have... It, when you have cutting-edge medication, people tend to run towards it. I, I get there's, there's, there's a newsletter put out. I think it's called Bad Drugs, Good Drugs, something like that, by some public, you know, do-gooders. And, um, you know, professional people who are very critical every time. And they're not critical from, like, alternative medicine. It's like, from health point of view, they analyze the different... And... They have a, they have different um, categories for medications, and they're very strong about what advantage does have over the old medication. Just because it's new is not better. What are the, the and then they say even if on paper it, it makes sense, do they have one category do not use for seven years because most of the things that end up being wrong come out with time. And many, yes, there have been some medications that have really forged ahead. And obviously, if there's nothing, you know, equal to it and not even close to it, you, you take a chance. But for most things, the benefits are not great. And the fact that in the lab tests, it hasn't had negative results, but that's fine. But what about 10 years down the road? Why do you want to be the guinea pig? And, and you know, it's a certain mindset. And, and this is sort of the mindset of we've been burned so many times by people... Coming up, bright new ideas, and that this will definitely be a game changer. It's fantastic, and it either fizzled out or was counterproductive. It's part of that same approach, and that's where I'm coming from. That's the...
0: what. We're, we're not out of time. It's up to you.
1: I, I'm small. What's the story?
0: Oh,
1: we're okay. I oh, great. I, it, no, it, it,
0: two or three more minutes. <laughs> I, 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 I have to I have to get Telstone in some time. To... Telstone? <laughs> yeah, you know where that is. You're six early hours early. What what concerns and considerations should a balsheva take into account if he has non-Jewish friends? Similarly, is there a need to disengage from them at some point in the balsheva process? When would that be? And also, how should it be done if the non-Jewish friend is insistent on being in touch? So, I, I think
1: in 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 the process that a person is struggling with himself to find his own identity, his own sense of self, his, to, to, to formulate his beliefs. <coughs> it's hard enough when it's you against Mohonyakov, when it's you and the yeshiva, and you're struggling to try to make sense of it and try to forge a, a something. And at that stage, it's best to pull back a bit because, you know, you, you really... Once you have a, a stronger sense of who you are, what you are, what you become, what your beliefs are then engaging and you know, having your normal relationship with people is, is fine. I'm, I'm, I'm a general believer not to just drop cold everything, but understanding that when, when something is in a formative process, it, 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 it's, it sort of doesn't allow it to gel and to set and to become something really firm. And, and, and yes, right now, I'm struggling. It's like, you know, God forbid I was in Oval a few months ago. You know, I lost my mother a few months ago. And when you go through a village, there's a there's there's, there's a there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a section of time that you need to come to grips with your own sense of things, and then you welcome engaging and being embraced and and, and sort of talking about it and so on. And and it's also it's a strong it's it's a it's a change, and you need to learn you need to digest things you need to work it through you need to get a sense of who it is that you want to be and what it is that you want to be. And for that, it, it it's sort of counterproductive. You, it, it's like you're not allowing them to set and become firm. Once you have a sense of self and firm, then normal relationships, there's no reason to cut off relationships. You may find you have less in common. If you're always running to be a and he's not. You may have some issue about where, where do you get together. If a bar is no longer to your thing. On the other hand, if the person has content and he's, and he's a person that you feel
0: has something, then, then fine, You know, by all means. Why does the six-day war and other miraculous events not warrant hollow or mention by the parading? So, you know, one of the problems in, in America,
1: they have what they call omnibus bills, where it works like this. You want to pass a bill that my congressional district should get a $10 million allocation for, I don't know what, flowers and shrubs, very hard to convince the Congress and Senate to do that. So what you do is you tag it onto the bill. So the bill says we're going to build destroyers and fighters for the next generation, $50 billion. And also we're going to put $10 million worth of shrubs in Chicago. And that's what bills look like, and, 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 and that's how you get them passed. So a guy says, what's this $10 million? Ah, you're talking about a $50 billion deal. What's the, this is like, it's a tip for the waiter. It's like, it's like, it's not, it's part of it. A person comes along and says, "Okay, you believe you believe this was a great book Yes, here's the whole package of Zionism. It comes with a big package, um, and the only people that can help us ourselves. Our problem has been we haven't defended ourselves. We, we must do this, this, and, and that. Zionism was an extraordinarily powerful force for good reasons. People in Europe were third-rate citizens spat upon." downtrodden, and really abused. And and Zionism came along and had a whole set of values. A, Jews are a people. Religion is one of the cultural aspects of Judaism. B, the only validity for Jewish people is around geography. We are from Israel, we're coming back to Israel, we're holding on to Israel. And um, religion is a very personal thing. And it's another beautiful, one of the many beautiful customs, along with falafel and hora, is religion. Mm-hmm. You know, these are all just like in America. They You, you wear Indian headdress for some events. You, you, you have uh, carols for another event. You, you have a turkey pardon by president for another event. It's all part of it. But it's of equal significance. That's, that's kind of the attitude. That was Zionism at its core. Zionism was a redefinition of the Jewish people. Um, and it was very engaging. So here you take somebody who's, who's used to running the other way when somebody throws rocks at him and says, we'll put you on a uniform, you're going to fight, you're going to reclaim the land, you're going to be proud of yourself, drop God because he hasn't helped you for 2,000 years, drop the Torah because that's not any good for you, stick to the Bible because that's energizing and poetic, and, and dump everything else into the museum, and that's it. That was the message of Zionism. Um, it's very powerful. It's, it's a real powerful whirlpool. And it spoke to people. People can be a Shalayim. You're starving. Here, we're redoing the world, just like communism spoke to people. And just like all these movements in the early 1900s, late 1800s, which swept people off their feet. So there was a pulling back big time. And it never was, okay, saying hal not saying how. It always was an omnibus. It was always like a package. Are you a Zionist or a non-Zionist? You didn't have a choice of saying, well, hallow because as they did of a nace. This is happy curses. This is maybe right. It's not right. So, so and so people dealt with that in that way. So there was a massive rejection of it. In and everything was it was. And somebody you know, somebody made an equation: if the Zionist happy curses, this can't be a miracle. This must be something. That was another extreme of it. But 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 it was always bound up with a whole package of things. Okay. I, I think I I, I really would Mr. Okay, that, Thank you very nice. Okay. Thank you.